What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the bring you the latest and the greatest in the world of mixed martial arts. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Gabriel! Happy Wednesday! Happy May first! How are you? I am good. I woke up and I realized, man, it's already May. I mean, the, the I don't know what it is about. Just after April, this is for me when we really hit that heart of the year. So the fact that it's already May, it, it's crazy to me. It feels like it was just yesterday that we were starting the new year. So it's a lot, but uh, yeah. Happy May. Happy Wednesday. It is a very, very interesting day in mixed martial arts for a lot going on. So, guys, we're going to start it a little differently. Usually we do recaps, but the story that is dominating the conversation in the MMA world, Brock Lesnar, per Dana White, is retired. The fight with DC is not happening. Instead, DC and Stipe Miocic are going to fight on August 17th, UFC 241 in Anaheim. Natalie, what happened? I have no idea. So, (laughs) you know, I know people were really sort of mixed about DC Lesnar, but I got really fired up when when DC beat, beat Derek Lewis. Brock Lesnar went in the cage. He shoved him. I was like, I don't care how much of a spectacle this is. I want to see this fight. And for DC, excuse me, for DC, he really wanted that big money fight. I love DC. I really wanted that for him too. So um, I don't know what happened to Brock Lesnar, what he must have been thinking. I don't know if it was a physical issue. I know he's had some like stomach problems in the past that led him to just straight up say, I'm retired, not coming back. I feel for DC because he's losing out on on all that money. You know, the Stipe rematch is exciting, but it's not going to bring in the eyeballs that that the Lesnar fight will or would have. Yeah, to me, um, I think what it really came down to was money and, uh, to be honest, desire for Lesnar. And I, I wrote about it late last year. I wrote about it again last night when the news broke is that people don't talk about it a lot, but the WWE signed a big $250 million deal to bring events to Saudi Arabia. And at the same time last year, this is right after Lesnar did that thing with DC, and everyone was hyped up for it. But at the same time, WWE signs that deal, and then they're very popular, the most visible champion, the world heavyweight champion for WWE, at the time Roman Reigns, He announces he's got to step away to battle leukemia. By the way, best wishes. He's doing great. He's coming back. So awesome, Roman. But WWE is a business. They need a heavyweight champion. They need a superstar after they just signed this deal. They throw Brock Lesnar more money to stay visible and not go as absent to go focus on UFC. Now, to me, what I think it came down to is Lesnar is 41. You have this thing called USADA, which 10 years ago when he was kicking butt wasn't, you know, around. And people will tell you Brock doesn't exactly look the way he used to. Uh, Okay, uh, you know, look, he hasn't failed another test. He still has to pay his fine from the last one. But that's a factor. He's fighting Daniel Cormier, who, you know, wants to 
add to his highlight reel and is a competitor too. And to his credit, I think Brock went out there knowing that, hey, I'm not going to get an exhibition. I'm going to have to fight Daniel Cormier. That's what I'm signing up for. That's why I'm trying <laughs> UFC. So I think when you honestly assess it, Brock looked at his money. He looked at the situation. I do believe that he thought hard about fighting DC. But I think what it came down to is when he looked at the big situation, he's already making a ton of money in WWE. There's less, I guess, risk involved. It is still physical, but it's not Daniel Cormier looking to take your head off for real. You know when the bun- when the punches, when the action is going to come and how to react to it. So I think that when it really came down to it, Brock Lesnar looked at the situation, looked at his age, looked at his health, looked at the money and said, I don't need this as much as I, you know, maybe did or maybe wanted it back last July when I pushed DC. So I think that's just bluntly what happened. Yeah, man, that, that makes sense. If he was looking at the big picture and thought, uh, I'll get way more money on this end and I won't be embarrassed if, you know, that was a possibility. We don't know, of course, how it would have turned out, but it was certainly a possibility that he would have been embarrassed by DC. And he figured, you know, I'll go where the money is and where the, where the safety is. That makes sense. I'm still bummed out. I still feel for DC. But at least now we know what's going to happen with the heavyweight division. And that is a relief. I'm sure also for Stipe, who's been sitting on the sidelines waiting for an answer. And now he's getting what he wanted. So good for him. Yeah. And I think, you know, on the Brock side, I'm sure we'll hear about it. Someone will sit down, talk to him. Dana White will answer it probably at the next. I don't know if he's going to be here in Ottawa this week, but. He'll be sitting down and telling everybody what happened. So I think that story will be revealed very soon. But yeah, you know, like yourself, I was excited about uh, Brock. And I thought it was, at least for the eyeballs, it was going to be a big event. It would arguably be the most visible UFC fight if they had made it. But, you know, as they say, it's not meant to be. We get the Stipe rematch. Natalie, okay, on paper. Yes, it is a good fight. Yes, it's a competitive fight. Yes, it is X, Y, Z. For myself, as good as Stipe is, I really feel like this only benefits Stipe when you look at the big picture. I think DC doesn't have anything to prove by giving him an immediate rematch in what could be the last fight of his career, mind you. We've both said that's a possibility. Um, as much as I like the Stipe fight for him competitively, I think that if you're talking about legacy, DC would have been better served fighting either Francis Ngannou or Junior Dos Santos. And I know that both of those guys are obviously booked, but just for a new fight for some fresh blood in there, I really feel like that was kind of what you needed because right now it's just... Stipe is kind of doubling down after losing in the first round. And if you're DC, well, what do you really get by beating Stipe again at the end of your career? Like, yes, it's a good win, but it doesn't elevate you really, in my opinion. So how do you feel about that fight? I agree. It doesn't help DC's legacy. And it's not the most exciting way to finish out a career like his going against someone like Nganu, actually, that would be amazing. That's a good matchup because if he beats him, that's great. And if he loses, hey, well, Nganu's the future of the heavyweight division. You don't have to feel too bad. JDS is a good matchup because he's he's so good on his feet. He has such great, great boxing skills. Yeah, this is actually a bigger 
win for Stipe than it is for DC. That being said, Stipe hasn't fought in a while, so you know it, it is. It also is a very big risk for him. He was just pretty much put out. His lights were put out by DC. I think it was the first round, right? It was pretty quick. Yep. So that's. I wonder what Stipe. You know, he's going to come out with a lot of drive, a lot of passion to win, but he could very well end up losing in a similar fashion. And then what, what does that do for him? So as glad as I am that there's some resolution with the belt, as far as a match being made, it is, uh, it could have, there could have been a better, there, there was a better fight to make for DC's presumably last fight than this, just this immediate rematch with Stipe. So I agree. I mean, I want to talk about the shock factor for a bit because um, I know going back to last year on the show, I know in recent weeks we've discussed it a little bit. I felt like when you look at the appeal of a DC Lesnar and the money and the you know competition, when you look at a possible John Jones moving up to fight DC for a third time and the money, the competition, the rivalry, the marketability, uh, we, I was saying, you know, it would take a downright miracle for Stipe to kind of, uh, you know, I'll say it. He kind of just uh, sat there and he put himself to the side. He let the division move on without him. And it would take a miracle for him to actually get an immediate rematch. Natalie, an imme- a miracle happened. <laughs> an immediate rematch. I That to me was the biggest shock. More than Lesnar retiring, but... The fact that UFC decided, okay, we are really rolling the dice and making number two happen. Yeah, it is interesting because UFC is so willing in many cases to to break up one already set to break up one fight to make a better one, right? So they could very well have have pitted Nganu against DC. Uh, if that seemed like the better fight, I think it would have gotten more eyeballs. So it is curious. I, I do wonder why they chose to just go with a sort of exciting, well, you know, good fight, but not necessarily exciting, big, big money fight. They, mm-hmm. they could have done, they do whatever they want. They could have done something more exciting. So it is interesting, but yeah, Stipe, Hey, prayers, prayers can be answered, buddy. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That fight in August in Anaheim. I think that you and I will be making a road trip. I think that'll be very fun later this summer. So that is exciting news. And um, look, I mean, we'll find out if DC does retire after this one, what does happen. I will say this is a little interesting that if Stipe wins, the number one contender is either JDS, who would be fighting for a third time, or Nganu, who would be another rematch. So things getting a little more interesting. What will happen in that heavyweight division? That is the story for another day. Natalie, there was a lot of MMA going on, so we're going to get, you know, recap these fights now. The big fight, Rory McDonald versus John Fitch. How is San Jose, and how is this fight live? San Jose was awesome. It was a really great learning experience for me, especially on the interview front. You know, I'm still new to the game, so hearing myself, you know, hearing my voice as I'm asking these questions, you know, was very helpful because I realized a lot of my, how do I say this? It it shines a light on all of um, your shortcomings, right? So for me, it's saying, um, a lot. And so it's a very basic thing, but I realized, oh boy, I say that a lot. So very helpful in that regard. Amazing to be able to talk to these fighters up close. And then of course, to see the fight live and in person. 
it was an exciting fight. I actually thought from my perspective and from some other folks that I spoke to on Media Row that Fitch had won the fight. So I was a little surprised when when it became uh, when it was called a draw. However, I did rewatch it. So in, in person, to me, it was it was clear that Rory didn't that his stand up was neutralized. He did have a really strong performance, I think, in the fourth round where he hurt Fitch. Mm-hmm. But in the replay, I I didn't really get the feeling that Rory was unwilling to pull the trigger as he as he spoke about so openly. To me, it was more like Fitch with his style is just a really, really tough opponent. He's just a hard guy to beat. And I'll, I'll take Rory at his word, you know, that, that that's how he felt. But part of me thinks that maybe he was more just frustrated. And when you get held down like that for so long, I suspect your mind has time to wander. And maybe that's why he allowed those thoughts about not having the spirit to finish his opponent to enter his headspace. So it's a complicated, not, I don't say it's not complicated, but there's a lot going on in, in, in why he performed the way he did and, and why he felt that he performed the way he did in the end. It was a close fight though. Like just watching it again, it was such a close fight. I think it's harder for me to say that, that Fitch won watching in the replay, a draw seems sort of fair, but also this, this rule that they have where if it's a draw, the champion gets to keep his belt. I get it, but it also seems a little, a little unfair. So what'd you think of the fight? Um, uh, speaking to that rule, I almost, sometimes it feels like a bit of a cop-out. Chael Sonnen uh, said it well, that it's like, if you guys after five rounds can't pick a winner, then it should go to the one guy who did manage to say something. And that is fair, and it isn't. Um, I, for example, uh, the round, uh, you said it was the fourth. I, I'm trying to see if, think if it was the third. But the one where Rory really hurt him and put it on him. We all scored that one for Rory. I guess if you score that one a 10-8, but you still give Fitch three rounds to two, then, you know, that's how you end up with two scores of uh, 47-47. So that, you know, some fairness to the judges. It was a close fight, and guys, you know, they, they went out there and they did things that made it seem that way. I only watched on TV, and I and this might be a bit of the commentary getting to me, but I felt like those closer rounds were just sliding a little bit toward Rory. So I thought that he probably had that one 3-2. But once again, you know, when I look at it, Fitch was right in there. He really did neutralize him a lot. He really did have his moments and time on top and did his thing. So I agree, it was a close fight. On first observation, I went with Rory, but, you know, I get the scores, too, when I really look at it. Um, The thing for me about Rory pulling the trigger, at first I was like, well, Rory has never been a home run hitter, and John Fitch is a tough guy to put away. Now, you know, so at first I thought, well, man, John Fitch has just taken some good shots. Now I'm wondering, well, did Rory actually just not put enough heat on him when he was in there? And it kind of threw the context of the fight off for me when I was watching it, that I was like, you know, I don't really know what to really say because John Fitch is a tough guy. But was Rory actually taking it easier? That's what he's saying. So that, to me, got a little confusing, if I'm being honest. But I, when I was watching it, I felt like Rory was going for a lot. He's never been a Tiago Santos, just a bulldozer kind of fighter. He kind of is more methodical anyway. So I felt like I was watching typical Rory. But 
you know, uh, if he's saying it was different, then uh, I'll take him in a, his word for it too. So I want to ask that for you. Did it seem like typical Rory McDonald when you were watching him? It did. And I think that we're all really affected by the, the greatness of the Rory Lawler fight, you know, the Robbie Lawler, uh, Rory McDonald fight, mm -hmm. that we have that so burned in our brains that that's kind of all we expect from Rory. Like after that fight, we always want to see that. But but yep. if you if you look at all his fights, he he fought Fitch more the way he usually fights. You're right; he's more typical Rory than usual. So, I think had he not said made those statements in the cage, we would have all walked away and thought, well, yeah, that was a Rory fight. You know, he's he's good on his feet. He's he's good on the ground, but with someone like Fitch, not so much, and that's to be expected. So. It is a little weird. I think we all have to stop, at least maybe I do, have to stop expecting Rory fights to look like Lawler-McDonald fights. That's that's a one in a million. Um, but we want to see those, though. I, of course, <laughs> yeah. Of course we want to see them, yeah. I also, you know, don't want to see Rory's nose get busted up. <laughs> but it, I'll tell you something. Just, just talking about Rory in general, seeing him up close, talking to him, like, you know, getting to ask him questions face-to-face, -face, and obviously never having met him before, he really does have this, I know he was always quiet and soft-spoken, but there's this like peace and the serenity in him when he talks about his faith that is very, it's very strong in him. I mean, I, I understand how much, it's clear to me, I should say, that that has really affected his life. So I don't know, man, it's a weird thing. I, I heard Faraz Sahabi on Helwani's show talking about this is something that happens to fighters, it's common that you know fighters have this 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 period where they they wonder if they can still hurt their opponent the notion of losing the killer instinct so we'll just have to wait and see you know Rory put out that statement confirming he's going to fight Neiman in June so i think it's really just up to Rory to decide what kind of fighter he wants to be and and it'll be interesting with with Neiman versus Fitch Neiman obviously has the great jujitsu, but I think he'll be a better matchup for Rory. He'll be more game to to make things exciting. So it could it could be a better fight. It could just all come down to styles make styles make fights, and this was a difficult style for Rory to shine. Well, I think that if you're Neiman, you are absolutely motivated after watching what John Fitch was able to do. Um, Neiman, you know, jujitsu, but look, he's a younger guy. He knows that it's not just, you know, going to your back and, you know, using the guard or getting top position. It's about actually being able to take down and use your wrestling in a different way than they teach in traditional jujitsu. So, you know, he's not just John, you know, the younger Brazilian John Fitch. He's a different guy, but he has the ability, the capability to replicate a lot of the positions that made John Fitch successful. So I'm sure he is bolstered by that. Also, the time. Um, Rory, you, you got to think, he's probably not actually hitting the gym hard for probably another week or so to let his body just recover a bit from the bumps and bruises. It is, like we just said, it's already May. The fight is in a month and a half from right now. Ooh. He... You know, you're telling me that you're getting ready for another five-rounder this quick? I mean, I, I almost feel like Bellator might have even been hoping Rory gets him out of there quickly just so there's less worry about that. But when you talk about what he took in that five-round fight and he got bloodied up a little, I don't know. Uh, this, 
the fight with Neiman is a lot closer today than it was a week ago if we had talked about this. So yeah, I think that says a lot. And he got a, um, a good cut on his eyebrow from a from a Fitch elbow. Yeah, you know, that it will heal, but it's not going to be as healed as it would in a normal three month period that fighters or three or four month period that fighters go through before they fight again. Yeah. Yeah. And- and look, I get it. There was a big uh, wait because he fought Gegard last year. But if I'm being honest, the pacing on this one, it is very off and very different compared to the heavyweight one that, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I get they want to get to the second round and set up the final for the end of the year. That way they could focus on the featherweight one. But I feel like you're, I'll say it, you're kind of screwing Rory McDonald a little bit and he's your champion. He's the UFC guy that you signed to make big money. And I know that business and scheduling plays a part, but at the end of the day, you want the best product. And I don't think you're going to get the best Rory McDonald in the Neiman fight because of the way this one went down. And I think that's a little uh, disappointing, which I don't say very often for Bellator. (laughs) You're right. Um, I hadn't thought about it, but Neiman fought in December, right? Yep. He's had a lot of time to rest and he didn't really get who did he fight? Ed Ruth, I think. He didn't really get mm-hmm. hurt. He finished it pretty quickly. A lot of time to recover, a lot of time to study both opponents. And this is a I mean, how often do you see turnarounds this fast unless it's someone like, you know, Jack Hermanson or uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> who had a bunch of those I can't remember recently that had a lot of uh, Tiago Sa- no, was it Tiago Santos? Yep. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker had some Johnny turnarounds, Walker. but it's when they're like finishing opponents quickly and they can just jump right back in. Totally different scenario here, as you said. Fitch, uh, Fitch didn't didn't even stumble Rory or you know make him hurt him really in a in a big way, but it was repetitive, consistent shots to the head, shots to the body, elbows to the face. That stuff is he's still going to be feeling that in a month. I mean, let's yeah. be real. So it is a little bit of a head scratcher from uh from bellator but it's scheduling they they have to put the shows on at a certain time and i'm that that came from business i i put my money that didn't come from coker and the guys in the know i think that typically you would give rory until at least july august as consider that a relatively quick turnaround mind you but you know they want to move things along at a certain pace and that's why they're putting it so quick is because you want that second round to happen because if i'm not mistaken later this month they already have the mvp lima fight too they yeah. kind of need this tournament to wrap up within a certain time frame i think is what they're trying to do to keep the quote attention going even though it's already it's not march madness this thing gets spaced out a lot and it's a very awkward setup because of the deals they have in place to broadcast it but look we're gonna get a good fight i think uh, you know it's still roy mcdonald and his abilities against a very young guy neiman gracie so i think it's gonna be one to watch and obviously there's a lot riding on it people are hoping we get the rory mvp fight in the finals so we'll see what happens with that if rory can you know erase all of this and have a good performance against a guy typically he should be able to walk through a neiman I know he's got great jiu-jitsu, but this is Rory McDonald. The experience and everything is on his side. Uh, moving to the co-main event, though, to get us rolling. We have a lot going on. Alima Lay McFarlane, Vita Ortega. Um, Natalie, Vita looked tough. I think that uh, Lima was struggling a little bit with just the firepower when Vita came forward or held her ground. 
That being said, it looked like the grappling and the wrestling, once again, was just the answer. She was able to get on top position. She was able to land ground and pound. That elbow, I'll be honest, Alima, I've seen her around a lot. She is a very nice individual. I didn't know she could just be evil like that and <laughs> bust her open. I was a little, I was impressed. Um, it was a bad way for that fight to go. I did have Alima up two to one and, you know, as that third round ended, but Vita was still in it. So very tough way for it to end. But what was your assessment? Yeah, tough way to, for it to end, but I think it was a clean victory. You know, in racing, when a driver loses due to catastrophic failure, meaning his or her car malfunctions to such a degree that, that driving is no longer possible, there's no doubt attributed to the winner's victory. So that's essentially what happened here. Vita suffered a yep. catastrophic failure. That cut was about three inches long. Apparently, uh, the skin ruptured down to the skull, so she had to go to the <laughs> hospital immediately. In this case, the failure was caused by a vicious, as you called it, you know, perfectly placed McFarlane elbow. But it, it shouldn't mean that, you know, to me, it shouldn't mean that McFarlane owes Ortega an immediate rematch, mm-hmm. which is what she said right after the uh, after she after she won. I think McFarlane talked about Ortega being her toughest challenge yet, and it totally was. It it show, totally showed McFarlane, mm-hmm. even though she did prove dominant with the takedowns of the ground game. She still had a hard time taking her down. She looked mm-hmm. super winded by the third, but she dug deep like a champion, like she should have, and she won. So I know Mark Fallon wants the rematch. Scott Coker says basically no. He he's like, mm, he didn't he didn't want to confirm it, but he didn't want to deny it either. But it seemed more like he was leaning in the no direction. I think McFarlane wants rematch Ortega to prove that she can beat her more convincingly. She, I think she wants to like wipe the slate clean as soon as possible so that memory of, of McFarlane being, being, you know, she, Ortega was like a Terminator. I mean, it was kind of terrifying the way she would like stand hunched over. Anytime she ate a punch, she just kept walking forward. She had really strong defense. I think McFarlane, I think that made an impression on her and she wants to win her, beat her more decisively. But look, man. Uh, a win is a win. It was a clean win. It was a, um, a TKO. She found the opening on the forehead. She dropped a bomb and that was it. So it was a good fight. I think actually you said you thought that Alima was up. I have to double check, but I think the judges actually had Ortega winning rounds one and two. Oh, and once again, testament to the toughness of Vita. And like I said, you could tell Alima was having an adjustment, you know, she was getting hit with some, you know, harder than she was against Valerie Letourneau and Alejandra Lara last year. And, you know, I think really her entire MMA career, if we're being honest. Yeah. Uh, to me, um, look, if Alima really wants it, when you say you have a world champion who's that motivated, that is always a positive sign for the marketability. I would say that Bellator, you know, compared to UFC, I hate to say this, but very bluntly, the depth of talent isn't really there. You know, we already know the players in the UFC division and how established and experienced they are. You know, respectfully, if you look at uh, Bellator right now, the top contenders would probably be between Juliana Velasquez, who's undefeated, just beat Alejandro Lara um, out of Brazil at 7-0. and Very new. Most people will still be asking who that is if she's booked against Alima. Or Christina Williams, who 
you know, is only, I want to say, four or five fights into her career. Obviously had her breakthrough with beating Heather Hardy. But for the most part, you know, very, you know, look, a lot of upside, but she's still a developing fighter. You don't really have the Valentina Shevchenko figure, the big super fight for Alima that if you go with Vita Ortega, uh, I'll be honest, I feel like it's going to give you the same result in terms of ticket sales. It would be a mostly Alima carried event. So in terms of actually giving her a different opponent, you kind of would be making a lateral move either way, whether you go with the rematch or you give an, um, one of the other girls to that effect. You could also pit Christina and Juliana together and try to make that fight bigger for the eventual Alima fight, if that's what you think, or to fight Vita if she pulls it off. So I think you're in that situation if you're Bellator, but I think that, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a champion who says, I really want this fight and I want to have something to prove, when you see that they have that motivation, that's a positive sign. It's not just about going and headlining in Hawaii. She's here to show up and throw down, and that's that's exactly what you want to see out of a champion. Yeah, absolutely. She she does want to fight in Hawaii in December. And when I asked her, she, I guess she usually takes six months off between fights. This time was a four-month turnaround. I asked her if she wanted to go back to waiting six months, and she said longer. I want to take a longer break. So I don't think we are going to see her until December. And it'll be up to Coker to, to decide who uh, who she fights. But I think you're right that she's the draw. She's the name. So it doesn't matter who they put against her. People are going to show up and tune in just to see her. For sure. One more fight, guys. There was UFC action over the weekend. UFC Sunrise. I don't. I saw them going back and forth. Fort Lauderdale. They still want to call it UFC Miami. I know. Pick I one, guys. Little, I know. I got annoyed. I kept having the wrong hashtags. But it goes <laughs> down as UFC Sunrise. Jacare shocked by Jack Hermanson. It was a very decent fight. I think you saw a lot of what makes Jacare dangerous, but I think the big takeaway was that Jack Hermanson is for real. If you didn't know who he is, if you only saw his minute against um, David Branch, you were made aware of just how bad this guy is. I was impressed by his output, his confidence on top against Jacare. I think it goes to show that people fear Jacare when he's on top of you, um, if you know that you got your skills, you're maybe not as worried if you're the one on top in his guard. So all of that, look, great breakout performance. I like that he admitted his coaches told him, you are going to be throwing down with him for 25 minutes. Don't think you're putting Jock away, away quickly like you did the last time. All of that made it very fun. Congrats to the Joker. It's very tough to see that for Jock Ray because you know what was riding on it, but Also, very bluntly, we've kind of seen this writing on the wall. It already was an uphill battle to get to that title shot at this stage anyway, going into it. What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I'm with you. It was hard to watch in the end because we could see Jacare's title shot slipping away round by round. When when he showed up in the third and he won that round, I was hopeful. I thought, okay, he's going to do it. He's going to pull a comeback like he did against against Weidman. It was not to be. Hermanson outmaneuvered him at every point. Jacare kind of looked mentally defeated um, when he was coming at the end of the rounds, at the beginning of the rounds, he just had this strange look on his face. He was, he was probably kicking himself for taking the fight, realizing, you know, a loss to Yoel, I don't think would, 
would have hurt him as much as a loss to someone ranked 10th like Hermanson. Yep. We'll see where both of these guys end up on the on the rankings once they get readjusted. I think MMA Junkie already has Hermanson up like number to number five. But the UFC official rankings, they haven't adjusted them yet, so they still show him at 10. But, you know, props to Hermanson. Excellent, confident performance. He went in there, made a big statement, as you said. Hopefully, he fights again soon. I think he's still fresh. I'd like to see how quickly he can get a title shot. I mean, it's it's looking good for him now. You just don't want him to go back home. You just want him to stay in that gym and keep fighting like he's Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah, let's, uh, let's see it. We'll <laughs> see how long he can go. But you don't need a break. Get back in there. Yeah, Joe Romero needs somebody in the gym. <laughs> no, but um, look, I agree with everything you just said. It was really tough. And um, once again, uh, the output, the movement of Jack, I was impressed. This guy has a well-rounded game. And I think that uh, he took big shots from Jacare and hung in there. I think that that bodes well when you look at him against the bigger names of the division. In terms of what's next... For Jacare, um, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I think that um, more fights are going to happen, and he'll fight one of the losers of that one, and it'll be kind of like, hey, two guys who need to build themselves back up. Um, I don't. There's nobody that stands out like this is the guy to me right now, which I hardly ever say, so note this date in history. <laughs> May <MMA> 1st. Daily. <laughs> yep. But... um. In terms of Jack Hermanson, uh, same thing. I know that they're still trying to put Paula Costa and Yol Romero together. Obviously, everyone from Izzy and Robert are booked. Rockhold's moving up, so the guys ahead of him are already, you know, out of The guy, though, who stands out to me is Kelvin Gastelum. I think that, you know, Kelvin wants a big fight to get back into relevancy. I think that Jack needs an opponent, and I think that if you look at the timing of everything, sometimes early fall for Kelvin and Jack would be a good fight. But what about you? Yeah, man, that's a good fight. But it makes me worry a little bit for Gastelum because he he ate a lot of shots from, from Adesanya. Even even if he gets some time off, I feel like he would need... What did you say, August? Is that what you just said? Uh, oh, the fall. The fall. yeah. Even that, I feel like he would he should take more time off than that. You know, he, he had that training camp with for Whitaker that went nowhere weight cut then back to training camp and the loss and the fifth round beat down jack hermanson has proved to be a very tough opponent i love calvin gasolum too much i think even even the fall would be would be too soon but it is a good fight and so i wouldn't i won't be mad at it but i, I love the guy i'd like to see him take a little more time off all right, all right. Well, definitely, look, there's going to be guys who kind of come through, and uh, God forbid, another injury that throws things off for oh, this Lord, division. Oh, Lord, please but, um, keep everybody healthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, that that's all, you know, that all plays into the equation for Jack. But, look, he's got options, and he's, he's riding a big win. This is one that really does propel him. This is the kind of thing that makes you break out fighter. Yeah, year, man, in he's... My got a great personality he's fun loving and and exciting to watch and he has he, he demonstrated with jacare he's got a you know decently well-rounded game so the future is bright for him i'm excited yeah moving on we do have another big fight announced for the msg card to join rory and john fitch darian caldwell the bellator bantamweight champion 
will be taking on Ryzen champion Kyoji Horiguchi. They fought at Ryzen's New Year's Eve show in December, and Caldwell was doing well. Kyoji, though, pulled it out, um, I want to say in that third round, and won the vacant title. Now they're doing a little more cross-promotion. Scott Coker has said that if Horiguchi were to defeat Caldwell and become champion, that he would be obligated to defend it at least once a year. But obviously, Kyoji remains primarily a Ryzen fighter, a Ryzen athlete. So it's not like we're going to see him now suddenly in Bellator every few months. So very interesting. Um, once again, uh, a case of doubling down. If you're Darian Caldwell, you get another big fight. You get a chance to avenge it with a little bit of that home field advantage. But, you know, with the risk, you drop two straight to Kyoji. It really puts you in a tough spot. What are your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, man. In general, though, I, I, that is true. I, I do love that Bellator is so, so open-minded. I really wish more promotions, like all promotions, would share fighters in this way. It raises the stakes in a way. When you're a, a Bellator fighter competing in Ryzen, not only are you representing yourself as a fighter, you're representing like the quality of your of the promotion that's sending you. You know, it's like the Olympics. It's competing for national pride. You're you're essentially competing for your country when you're when you're representing your um your own promotion. That being said, Caldwell. He, yeah, you uh, you called it. He's got to be feeling the pressure to deliver, and even though he does have the the home field advantage, he's going to be forced to do so. You know, to to make up for his loss on a really big stage, a lot of eyeballs. I think Horiguchi carries a lot less of the burden. But if he wins, what does that do for the Bellator bantamweight division? If he's only forced to defend once a year. What happens to the other guys? They just have to sit around and wait and can only challenge for the belt once a year. It's a bit of a tricky situation. Um, if that happens, we'll see what they do. But I, I just generally, I like this this freedom. I like the, the Bellator Ryzen deal, and I would like to see some other promotions do it. I doubt we'll ever see the UFC do it, but wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, it would be amazing. Oh. That would be a great day in history. <laughs> um, uh, I think when I looked at it, the thing is, <clears throat> I think Darren Caldwell only has like one loss in quite a while. He's been doing great work since he's been in Bellator, and I give him credit on that. The issue is that as every other division has been able to find guys and develop guys and girls and sign free agents XYZ, they have not been able to do that at Bantamweight. And I think that that's kind of why Bellator said, Darian, you can do the rising thing. We're open to this because there's not really competition. I said this on this show last year that you had Michael McDonald, UFC guy, um, was throwing down, putting guys to sleep in the first round. He elects to retire. He isn't um, passionate about fighting the way he used to be. All that's fair and fine. Um, that's his decision, but it kind of left Darian without that big opponent to look forward to next. And we saw him try moving up to 145 and being successful. And I think that that's why he, you know, got to do the rising thing is because Bellator is aware there's a lack of competition. Now, we did just see Juan Archuleta in January in L.A. get the job done against Ricky Bandejas. He stands out. He's talking about, you know, look, I'm here. Let me fight Caldwell. 
Let me do the featherweight thing. Let me eat and move up to lightweight later. All that bodes well, but now it's like, well, you put it on hold. And to his credit, he did say he's okay waiting for Darian Kyoji to handle their rematch. But it's, you know, it's also putting the Bellator in a tough spot because Juan is a guy who likes to stay active and you don't want to risk losing the only title contender you have in Bellator if Darian, you know, loses or is on, on ice for a while as he settles business, then recovers. So I think all of that together makes it very interesting. There's not many contenders, but look, I get it. They're choosing the short-term investment now. Obviously, if Darian beats Kyoji, he becomes a bigger name. He gets a little more credibility. So maybe they're banking on that, but it does make it a very interesting situation for Bellator. And I'm not entirely sure how they're going to sort it out besides just you know, one guy is just going to get screwed in the deal and have to be on the sideline longer than they should be, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's basically it. I think that they, Bellator thought, hey, this is a great opportunity. Let's do it. And then we'll figure out how to clean up whatever mess might get made as we go. And and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But look, uh, that's another one. So they are fighting in June, June 14th, Madison Square Garden. Next story, UFC announces a deal to go to Abu Dhabi. It is a multi-year deal. I saw somewhere that it was five, but I feel like I couldn't find it again. But the fact is, at least, at the very least, an annual stop on the calendar. And part of the deal is that they will have a card headlined by a championship fight when they go. So similar to Madison Square Garden, similar to some of these other places, they are making a deal that says they will be bringing a big pay-per-view level event to the market each time. And the big one that we're all waiting on, I'm sure they're in talks for it, is Habib versus Dustin Poirier at UFC 242, which is going to be the first one of this new deal on September 7th. Natalie, talk to me about uh, UFC making Abu Dhabi or you know just the Middle East an annual destination. Well, I don't have much to say here, but... I suspect there's a lot of money in the deal. I don't think <laughs> yep. I say that facetiously, right? But I like where your head's at. You you understand. I'm starting this to, business. man. I'm starting to. So it's kind of a no-brainer. I on the periphery have, you know, seen reactions from MMA folks on social media, just in general about the UFC or even the WWE and dealings with Abu Dhabi, but I really haven't dug into it. And so I, I can't speak, you know, um, intelligently about it, but there's definitely some, um, I should say, I guess shadiness is a fair way to, 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 to describe that right now. Oh. Um, and sure. uh, I don't know what else to say. It's obviously there's a boatload of money and there's probably this whole, there's not probably there's this whole market that they want to build up in the Middle East. And if they get the eyeballs and they get the money, makes sense. But um, I don't know, man. I got nothing else. <laughs> it's about money. But why is it why is it shady? They're making a lot of money. They just throw up yeah. So, every so not, year. Why is uh, it- I should say that this is where I'm getting myself in trouble because I don't have any any like hard evidence to any um, knowledge to back it up. But my vague understanding is that maybe some of the folks on on that end um, have unique business practices i guess i'll say that and so that's where the shadiness comes from but the ufc is trying to make money wwe is trying to make money so i i get it 
Um, and I'm not a. Uh, I'm not. You're not against I'm not people against making COVID. money. Thank you. You helped me out. I, I think I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, hey, fair. Completely fair. I get it. Um, okay. You know what? When I looked at it, um, uh, you have, I understand where you're coming from. I think to me, when I look at the deal at face value, is that unless we do see some kind of uh, shadiness in decisions or other, you know, related stuff which i think ufc hasn't you know it's very hard to do when you have social media and this many eyeballs on you in a company yes it does happen but you know i can't see it being a down the board thing i think to me it reads just like brazil or toronto or australia every year these places get one or two major pay-per-view events because there's so much money they're a large market which you never used to see you know, a lot of markets internationally, they don't get a pay-per-view. They get a fight night. They get, you know, they fill up a big arena with a Fox Sports 1 card or equivalent here. And that's not really fair because there are a lot of fans. They want to see the the Habibs, the Connors, the Whitakers, the Max Holloways of the world compete in their city. And I get that. So I'm glad that they are bringing pay-per-view to another market. I think that it really just depends, like, are you going to stack it like you do Brazil versus the world, et cetera, Australia versus the world? Um, how is it set up? Obviously, Habib, being a Muslim, is going to be big in the Middle East fighting over there. But after, you know, Habib won't headline every single one, I don't think. So, you know, how do you build it moving forward? How do they stack the cards? I think that's going to be very interesting to see moving forward. But Unless we see something extra blatant happen that is shady, I see this as a positive right now. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, they're building the brand. They're taking it all over the world. You know, it's a great business move. Yeah. Final news story, then we'll uh, start to talk about UFC Ottawa. Tito Ortiz (laughs) announces his third return from retirement to fight with Combate Americas. He signed the deal on Friday. There is no opponent, but he is expected to fight in October. Notably, for fans who don't watch Combate Americas, like I know a lot of people don't, they very, 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 very rarely have a fight over lightweight, you know, over 155 pounds. That is just the roster if you've ever followed these guys for long enough time. So it is going to be interesting to see who they get. They have talked about him fighting their brand ambassador, former WWE star and former MMA fighter, Alberto Del Rio. People, I am speculating they're going to try to pull another free agent to have a showcase style fight with Tito. But the fact is, Tito... 44 years old, retired. I was there in December when he said that was it again, and he's coming back. What are your thoughts, Natalie? It's a bit odd for me. I get it. He, you know, if someone's willing to pay him money to fight, and they're because he is still a name, they're gonna make a big push, make a big splash, give him give him some cash. I get why he would why he would um, jump on board, but it kind of makes me think of like a Quentin Tarantino, like. Quentin Tarantino has a knack for casting actors that we might consider past their prime, but then they enjoy mm-hmm. like a career resurgence after they star in one of his movies. I feel like Tito Ortiz is looking at these non-UFC, non-Bellator promotions in the same manner. He's willing to star in every B movie he can. 
until he gets like a second big break. But, you know, he has to show up. He has to give give a good show, a good performance. And that really depends on his opponent. So we'll see who they give him and how well he can he can make a make an impact at. Did they the length of the deal? Was it just like a one off or I don't know if any of that has been revealed? No, but um they very rarely do. They are very how do I describe it for fans who may not know? Um, they move a lot slower. They are very big on a lot of the stuff that would seem more blatant. So, for example, they don't have, they easily, even though they have a nice The Zone deal and a TV deal, they don't have a lot of big contenders, big stars. And the guys who you would think logically they would match up together, it is not uncommon for them to actually not get paired up for a while because they're trying to build up that fight so much over time. And that has backfired a few times, too. Um, so to that effect, I don't see Tito. Uh, I see it being a bit of a multi-fight deal versus like, hey, you know, a three-year deal. And you'll fight for us X amount of times in that span. So I think that that's, that's what we're looking at is that he's agreed to fight. I think that he gets a lot of executive decision on, you know, who's it going to be, what kind of guy he's looking to fight at this stage of his career. But I find that interesting. Are you saying that Tito is Robert Downey Jr. and he's hoping Combate Americas is his Iron Man? Is that what you're implying, Natalie? Sort of. I mean, Iron Man's, Iron Man's a little bit of a, too big of a success. Jump? Yeah, it's a bit of a jump. <laughs> it's like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. You know, he had a resurgence and then it faded away again. Or... Yeah. I can't think of who else. Kurt Russell, I would say, had a good one coming off of um, what was that death race or one of those like hybrid yeah. Rodriguez Tarantino ones. But that's yep. sort of what I see. It's just he's trying to to get that big next. Like people still know his name, but after the Liddell fight, yeah. it was kind of like, oh, that was a bit of a a bit of a joke. And so I think he's trying one last shot to get the memory of Tito Ortiz as this great fighter back in the minds of people. And again, if they're giving him money, why not? Um, it's kind of a smart move for Combate. It's like sort of what Bellator did a few years ago with Kimbo and Shamrock and Gracie, where there's like this legend, like, you know, older legends, uh, older legends matchups got attention to the, to the promotion brought eyeballs to the fights. And then they built up their younger fighters under that, platform so it could work for combate if tito ortiz is a big enough name but again he has to have an exciting opponent or else who cares well i mean the to their credit if you already have the zone he's most likely going to be fighting on it or you know when they re-air it on tv and spanish television um people the sap button still works you can watch their (laughs) subtitles if you don't want to pay for it a week after the fact all of that does bode well and, but, you know, I also think it's going to be interesting, you know, what is his commitment? Is he brand ambassador or is he legit about getting in shape, doing a camp? And if a guy throws down with him, he's really going to have to throw down. I think that's the big thing for me. But um, I will also say this. I'm aware of his age. I'm aware of the injuries he's had and everything else. I do find it a little concerning. I almost feel like Tito. I know they're, I know they're giving you a lot of money. I get it. I get we got bills to pay and things to do. At a certain point, 
you know, I would hope people maybe talk him out of it for his own health. You know, you there's only so many times you do want to roll the dice on that. So I would hope that he is taking that seriously into account as he does choose to continue. Yeah, for sure. He does have a really big head, though. But yeah, I think he's had like some bad neck injuries, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, what does that I just mean like he has a big head, thing. so he can take a shot. But then you know the neck thing—that's totally different. He's had some some bad neck spine spine issues, and so in that regard, I'm with you. He should really be looking at Great his health recovery. and asking himself, "Is it worth it at this point?" Absolutely. Great recovery <laughs> there. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're having it's been a long show. <laughs> Let's cap it off this Saturday. UFC Ottawa, a great, great lightweight fight. Al Ayakinta, Donald Cerrone, um, big implications for the lightweight division. Natalie, how do you see Dude, this one I'm going? Dude, I'm excited, man. This is going to be a great fight. I think Donald Cerrone has what it takes. He's a more skilled stand-up fighter. He has excellent jiu-jitsu. I think he wants it more. He wants that title shot. He knows you know, his, his career is closer to the end than Ayakinta's is. He's motivated by having a son. He wants to win that belt. It's going to be a tough out for him because Iaquinta has zero quit in him. The guy cannot be put down. But I think Cerrone is a superior fighter. It comes down to heart. Ultimately, who has more heart to see this through to the bloody end? Should it go that way? Iaquinta has has the edge there as far as heart. You know, we've seen him really tough it out. I said, as I said, he has no quit. But if Cerrone shows up, if he executes a solid game plan. I see him taking the win, moving one step closer to the belt, and, and that would be a good day for Cerrone. No, I got you. I got you. Uh, for me, I think that it really is dependent on what kind of uh, way of attack that Ikinta really brings. I think that Ikinta is a very, like you said, tough, tough guy to put down. Um, I think, though, you got to remember that Cerrone doesn't do well when guys pressure him, and Ikinta exploit that i think that he's going to try to come forward take away that space that uh cowboy likes to use and just really make it an ugly fight which i completely think that ikinta can win i think that's what makes this fight so dangerous for cowboy is that i think people still uh, you know not fair but they still kind of see ikinta as the the realtor he's the guy <laughs> who left he's the guy who took a leave of absence he, they don't see him as the guy who's going to take out Habib Nurmagomedov and is killing the lightweight division. So that kind of, you know, is the X factors that you have to remember. This is who our ally Kinta is. He's only, I think he's only got two losses in UFC. He just doesn't fight too, too often. That's his thing. Um, for Cowboy, though, I think he's got more weapons. I think that he likes to use more of those weapons, which bodes well for him. Um, mid-range pick him apart with kicks, try to just establish the jab, just that length that he possesses. Uh, if it goes to the ground, he is very, uh, I mean, he's just getting more vicious with that ground game lately. I feel like, you know, he's kind of falling back in love with using his grappling to finish fights. So that could be the X factor is his submission game. Um, for my money, I have become a believer in what they are calling a dad cowboy. <laughs> I think that he just has been on fire. I think that his last fight, he took some good shots, shots that previously I felt like put him away. 
Um, he took them well. He rallied back, got the victory. I think that he's proven in five-round fights. I see this one a tough, but it's a unanimous decision for Cowboy. I think that he's going to just outmaneuver uh, Iaquinta, similar to Jack Hermanson, and I think uh, he's going to just do enough to stay ahead and get the job done by decision. Yeah, I feel I feel the same. You know, putting putting Iaquinta out that's a tough that's a tough ask. But outpointing him, out grappling him, if he can, if he can, you know, keep enough distance to not get really hurt, Cerrone has uh, has a big big shot here for sure. Yeah, well, there we have it. We are in accordance. We believe that it will be Cowboy getting the job done. So we will be recapping that action next week. And of course, Natalie, next week we have another pay per view to Brazil: Rose Nama Yunus against Jessica Andrade. Anderson Silva's back. Jose Aldo's back. A lot of fun stuff to talk about. What are you most? Which fight are you most excited to discussing next week? Definitely, definitely Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade. I love Rose Namajunas. I think she's a great fighter, great champion, and just super chill. I love her attitude. So I'm rooting for her, but I really want to. I'm looking forward to digging into the to both of their fights and and breaking them down so we can talk about it next week. I think it's going to be a a heck of a fight in Brazil. I mean, the stakes are high. I mean, for me, the, the fight, yes, but it's always a treat when Anderson Silva's going to get back out there. You know, yeah, that for I, sure, it's man. crazy that um, it's crazy that Jose Aldo and Anderson are starting to say this is the last year when Anderson has so many more years over Aldo. That is just crazy to me. So I think that we're going to have a very beautiful story of the event when it's all over, but. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one and obviously a great lead-in with this Saturday's card. Natalie, lots of MMA, lots of stuff going on. Where can fans find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Zamudiorama5 at Zamudiorama and the old website is thestraightpunch.com Alright, you guys, give her a follow. You can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.